0: Play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show.
1: Cairo, Seattle.
0: Bell, and this is your last meal—a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, actor and improviser Mary Soane. Mary has been on comedy, Bang Bang, bajillion-dollar properties, and the Netflix show Love. And right now, she's starring on the NBC show AP Bio, where she plays an art teacher named Mary. What were you like when you were in high school?
2: You know, I was kind of an eclectic person. I like played sports and I played the trumpet in the marching band. I played band. the trumpet too. You did? And my boyfriend did too. Awesome. Yeah. You know, we are a special breed. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Nerds? Is yeah. that what you call it? A complete dork. Yeah. yeah. As Mary and I talked about food, one thing became very clear. She is obsessed with dipping foods into other foods. And I'm not just talking about chips and dip. This woman will dip anything into anything which made me think of a very controversial pairing. French fries dipped into a Wendy's Frosty. Something it's delicious, something it's grotesque. I chat with the burger chain about how this dipping trend came to be. And why does spicy wasabi burn your nose, but a habanero pepper just burns your tongue? What does it mean to be a super taster? Why is a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup the perfect candy bar? I got answers to all of these questions from my friend Becky Selengut, chef and author of How to Taste. It's a book that uses the science of taste to make you a much better home cook. Um, okay, so we're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every time we get together. I know. I know. Every so single time. so much more fun than my other boring interviews, right. stupid interviews. Just kidding. I love all of my interviewees, including, especially, Mary Sohn. <laughs> Mary grew up in Champaign, Illinois. And before moving to L.A. to pursue acting, she spent almost a decade performing with the Second City Theater in Chicago. You did improv in Chicago before moving to Los Angeles. Do you have any improv pet peeves? I ask this because I've done improv. I have friends who have. And, like, one example being when someone's pretending to drive a car and just kind of, like, (laughs) holding onto the steering wheel. Like, what are your improv
2: pet peeves? I have problems with people playing children and then naming themselves something like Sally. Like, how many Sallys do you really know? But that's always the go-to name. Yes. Or they call boys are always Johnny. Johnny or Bobby. Yes. Ugh. It's like from 1950. <laughs> that is so fun. You're so right. It drives me insane.
0: So do you try to modernize it and you're like, little Aiden here? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, actually, I heard this woman say that her name was like Aquanine or something. Um, Like on a plane, she was like a flight attendant who was like, and Aquanine will help you in the back. And I just saw this man next to me go, what? Aquanine. Aquanine. It's kind of
0: superhero ass. Yeah, like that's the kind of person you want in a plane. Exactly right. Serving you peanuts <laughs> that we can't have anymore because the children. The children! Johnny! When you first moved to LA, were there any things that you had to adjust to coming from the Midwest?
2: Yeah, I was not used to being around so many Asian people. In my high school, there was me, my sister, and just like maybe 10 other Asian kids. Oh, wow. In all four grades. Yeah. So there was not a ton of us. And so when I would go to the restaurants, I'd be like, whoa, there's so many of us in here eating all this food. And it's not a special treat where it was a little bit where I grew up. But yeah, I'm like so impressed by the cuisine. But I remember feeling really moved. And I think that makes me feel really connected to these other people is food. It's really powerful how food can really connect folks. And I really love it.
0: Talking about food with Mary is especially fun because she is unabashedly candid about the foods that she loves to eat. All kinds of creative, quirky combinations that only a stoner could dream up. Now, for the record, I don't know if Mary's a stoner, but Mary's taste buds have definitely been smoking some weed. And her suspiciously stony mashup started when she was in high school.
2: And I would go to the local grocery store and get um, mashed potatoes from their hot bar and Doritos and just do a classic dip.
0: (laughs) Very classic. Yeah, very classic dip. (laughs) That sounds good. I've never had that before. It's divine.
2: Do you still eat that? Not as much, not as much, but uh, I do eat those kind of gross combos a lot. <laughs> oh, I love that. What's another one of your gross combos? Well, this one's like less gross, but um, I love a jalapeno cruncher type chip mm-hmm. and then like a just really full fat Greek yogurt.
0: Yeah, yeah. that sounds good. <laughs> it's so yummy. Yeah. So you're really into dipping.
2: I like to dip. I love the
0: dip. <laughs> <laughs> Doritos dipped in mashed potatoes, jalapeno chips dipped in Greek yogurt. When it comes to chips and dips, Mary Soane don't mess around. This woman has a PhD in dipping. Dr. Dip will see you now. But Mary doesn't need a chip to dip. The MacGyver of dippers, she is capable of turning
2: almost any food into a dipping utensil. Speaking of dipping, I also love to make an oatmeal and take bacon and do a classic dip. Classic.
0: <laughs> That's the word you use to make yourself feel normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you must have to get the bacon really
2: crispy mm-hmm. to get that structure to do the dipping. Yes. Oh my God, a queen after my own heart. <laughs> Also, I love this French restaurant in LA called Tex, and they have the most beautiful escargot. And I found what I really loved about it was taking the fries and dipping in that butter. Garlic. In the garlic <laughs> butter. You know what I don't like? Dip is a sandwich. Oh, like a French dip? Yeah, I don't like a wet sandwich. It
0: is weird. It goes against everything that you want from a sandwich. Yeah, and dryness. I...
2: <laughs> Make the meat wet. But, like, I've always said my face is just like a ciabatta bread sliced in half is the shape of it. Oh. And I'm like, oh, that's a good thing. Like, you can make a sturdy sandwich
0: on huh? it. Uh-huh. Except for when you wash your face in the morning. That's like your French dip. Oh, or I guess your Korean dip. I guess yep. it would be, yeah. <laughs> I want you to have a dipping restaurant now. What would it be called? Dip, baby, dip.
2: When I dip, you dip, we dip. <laughs> kind of long. The signage will be expensive, but it's worth it. Of course, you always think of good
0: stuff after you're done with the conversation. I don't know why I didn't think of better names for Mary's Dipping Restaurant, like The Big Dipper, Dip Service, Dip Dip Hooray, or just my favorite, like a Muppet kind of you know, infused dip, 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 dip. All right, we're going to take a break, but we are not done with dipping. When we come back, I chat with the director of culinary innovation at Wendy's about a sweet and salty dipping situation that has become a cult classic for the fast food joint. And of course, Mary Soane still has to share her last meal. We'll be right back. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off the beaten path vacation spots with small town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Poulsbo or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm to table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a black owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest And there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash your last meal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P. Or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org or find a link in the show notes.
2: Let's talk about what your last meal would be. Oh, is it okay to do a combo platter of things? Yes. Okay. So I used to work uh, at Baskin Robbins, and I think this is where it started my temperature obsession. I would get to the shift and make a tiny kid scoop and just make it as hard as possible of like a French vanilla. Then I'd put it in our super freezer where it would freeze it super hard. And then at the end of the shift, I would take out um, like a hot fudge and then cherry juice. You would just pour
0: the juice over it? Yeah. You wanted the ice cream really hard. Yes. And cold. And would
2: that take away from the creaminess? No. No, not at all. And also that hot fudge just kind of like loosens it up a little bit. Yeah. Are you a cup or a cone
0: person? Well, I think everyone's a cone person, but when you're trying to be more virtuous and healthy, (laughs) you go cup.
2: Do you agree? Wow, very adult of you. Are you a cup or a cone person? I'm a cup just out of that, but then you know I like to do a side cone dish. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay, so this
0: is your your platter. So you have the extra cold ice cream, the hot fudge, and the cherry juice.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I hate to admit this, but I love McDonald's french fries. That's okay.
0: (laughs) Very cool. And then would you eat all this together? Mm Mm-hmm. Listening to Mary talk about wanting to eat ice cream and french fries together, combined with her love of dipping, automatically made me think of a classic fast food combination. Dipping french fries into a Wendy's Frosty.
3: This is just something that came about naturally from our customers.
0: That's Shelly Toby, Director of Culinary Innovation at Wendy's.
3: We've heard about this for years. I remember dipping a Frosty and Fries at my very first Wendy's visit, which was when it came to my hometown 40 years ago. And then when you dip the salty, french fry in there. You get the crispness of the french fry, the sweetness of the frosty. What is the history of the frosty? When was it
0: invented? What makes this frosty different than any other milkshake?
3: It was 1969, the year that Dave Thomas opened Wendy's. And what makes this different is it is a cross in between a milkshake and soft serve. Because you can eat it with a spoon, but as it melts a little, you can also have it with a straw. It's a combination of chocolate and vanilla. I've never heard of people talking about it with other fries and shakes. It's always Wendy's. I think it's the texture of our Frosty. So because our Frosty isn't as thick as ice cream, but it is not as thin as a milkshake. So it's the perfect thickness for dipping. And our customers love dipping everything. We even know some of them dip nuggets. The reason this combination
0: is so good is the reason all of the great foods are so good. Contrast. You have the sweet, cold, creamy ice cream and the salty, hot, crunchy fries. These contrasts are what our taste buds crave. All right, let's get back to Mary's last meal.
2: Okay, so salty and sweet. Salty, sweet. I love it all. I used to, at the end of meals, eat like fruit and kimchi. (laughs) My sister would be like, This is disgusting. What kind of fruit? Um, cantaloupe. I actually think that sounds good. I was okay.
0: eating kimchi out of a bag before you got here. <laughs> and I was worried about my breath. And so when you came in with your breath mint, I was like,
2: I should have done that. No way. I love <laughs> it. I love that you eat kimchi.
0: It's so good. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so you have your ice cream, your French fries. Yes.
2: And then um, I have an obsession with any sort of hot sauce. My boyfriend is always like Dude, you know, like, it's way too spicy. You're sweating and red and you look like you just ran. And I'm like, that means it's good.
0: That means it's working. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to the French fries, because Mm -hmm. you are a dipper, Mm -hmm. what do you dip your fries in?
2: I like to make myself a disgusting little combo of ketchup, mayo, and Tabasco sauce. Yeah, so what's your hot sauce of choice? It's so tricky. I I love a classic Tabasco for breakfast. I love Cholula. And then my favorite is sriracha. With the fries, though, it's exclusively the Tabasco. I like how vinegary it is. It really cuts through that mayo. Mary
0: loves really cold food with really hot food. She loves salty with sweet. She loves spicy kimchi with cooling cantaloupe. And if you're making a face, stop making that face because none of this is weird at all. Because contrast of texture, temperature, and taste is what makes a dish delicious crunchy with creamy, salty with sweet, acidic and bright with fatty and rich. And all of this is covered in detail in How to Taste, the latest book from my friend, author, and private chef, Becky Selengut. If you're looking to be a better cook, Becky says to start paying attention to the restaurant dishes that you love most. And take notes on what elements make it a great dish. Chances are it's contrasting textures, temperatures, and flavors.
1: The goal of good cooking and great dishes are to get as many of those elements in a dish as possible. And I can guarantee that your favorite dish, and I know you love tacos, right? Yeah. Like your best taco, I bet, has played with sweet, salt, texture, cold and hot sour cream, and then maybe hot carne asada or something like that. I bet the acidity level is right. Good amount of salt, um, unless you're a cilantro hater. You love cilantro. And then you get that aromatic quality going on with enough salt to mitigate the bitterness. It has it all going on. A great taco is fully exploring the elements of taste and flavor.
0: Becky explains why so many people love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups.
1: It's not just the salt and the sweet in a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup that people like. It's the textural difference between the kind of crunchier outside and then the creamy inside. Yeah. So... Involving texture into your food instantly makes it much more exciting. It's also the fat content of the peanut butter is great. The bitter content of the, the chocolate is, is spot on.
0: Okay, so Becky explained to me that the world contains three kinds of tasters. You're either a tolerant taster, an average taster, or a super taster. And if you have a really, really picky eater in your life, it actually might not be their fault. They might be a super taster. About 25% of people are super tasters, and even though it sounds like a positive thing, like somebody wearing a cape, it actually isn't. Super tasters have four to five times as many taste buds as an average taster, so they have a much more acute sense of taste, and flavors can generally overwhelm them. Super tasters don't tend to like bitter things like coffee, IPA, Brussels sprouts, and dark chocolate. And Becky knows a lot about super tasters because she lives with one. Her wife, who is a sommelier, is a super taster.
1: So she's a wine expert, and it makes her extremely good at her job because she'll take a sip of wine, and unlike me, which I'm like, wine, yum, good, she's like, oh, I'm getting some volatile acidity, I'm getting some you know, imperfections, I'm getting a lack of balance, and I thought she was just picky for a long time, and then I realized, no, she, those are things that are actually in the wine, that my taste buds, not having enough density of them, I'm a little bit blind to. For example, a mango, she says funny things like, this tastes like grave dirt and i'm like well a how do you know what grave dirt tastes like maybe i shouldn't have married you and b like what do you mean and she's tasting some actual compounds that are in mango that give it sort of a almost rotten fermented taste that we can't taste there's a couple positives to being a sensitive super taster and one of them is at least for her, and it's different for everybody, she really appreciates uh, texture more than the average bear. So when she eats ice cream, I almost feel like I need to give her some alone time because, like, I mean, I like ice cream. Everyone likes ice cream. But, like, to watch her face when she eats ice cream, it, she's experiencing more pleasure out of that ice cream than That's I am. to see. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty fascinating.
0: On the opposite end of the spectrum are tolerant tasters. These are people who have much fewer taste buds of the population, and less sensitivity. So if you have someone in your life who is always shaking a bunch of salt on their food or a lot of hot sauce on their food, "Ah, my boyfriend, this is a tolerant taster. But most of us, including the majority of chefs, are average tasters. This is one situation where being called average is a good thing. There's three ways
1: to test what your taster status is, and one is just by asking a couple questions, and then one is by doing this taster strip I have here. The third, which we're not gonna do, is I would dye your tongue blue, put a little paper reinforcer on your tongue, take a photo and blow the photo up and literally count the number of taste buds I can see. Now, my wife is a sensitive taster or super taster. I couldn't even count because they were all on top of each other. When I did my own, it was very distinct. You know, I could count 20. To determine my average taster status, Becky gave me a little test strip to place on my tongue. The strip I have in my hand has uh, one bitter compound on it, and we have 18 to 20 bitter receptors. So she's going to take this strip and put it in her mouth. It's going to either be bitter. It's bitter. Okay, or it tastes like paper, or you'd spit it out and hate me. And so I can tell because she's keeping it in her mouth way longer than my wife could. So you're most likely, you know, you're in the average taster because it's bitter to me. Ew. Take, take a sip of water and then rinse your mouth out, and is it going away? Yes. Okay. So you're an average taster. It, okay. So then I would follow that up with a couple questions for you. So do you like black coffee?
0: Um, I don't prefer it, but I can handle you it. You can handle
1: it. Yeah. Okay. That's very classic average taster. What about IPAs? I like Beers. them. You do, and yeah. you like the the most bitter, hoppiest IPAs, or do you like them when they're a little bit less bitter? A little less bitter. A little bit. And did you have to work up to appreciating them, and or did No, it, I've always liked IPAs. Always liked? Yeah. And then what about bitter vegetables? Can you tolerate them or do they need to be cooked correctly? What are some examples? Radicchio, arugula, uh, Brussels sprouts, broccoli rabe.
0: I really like all of them, except I don't like radicchio.
1: Did you have it as just itself, or did you have it with many other things in it? Didn't I had
0: them? it as a salad with like a few things in it, but yeah. I picked them all out afterwards. All. Yeah. So
1: that's, again, pretty typical of average tasters, that you tolerate most of the bitter vegetables, but you, they need to be either a certain percentage of the, the whole dish, or they need to be treated a certain way. And I bet if I caramelized that radicchio, added some honey did a couple things to it, mixed it with a bunch of other sweeter greens, you'd probably tolerate it a lot better than just having it raw. So we pretty much can guarantee right now that you're an average taster, which is good. That means that you're pretty much not picky. If you
0: want to take the test and see if you are a super taster or an average taster, you can buy the testing strips online and find a list of questions. Sounds like a really fun Saturday night. At the end of my interview with Mary... She wanted to ask me a couple questions about food.
2: Are you a horseradish person?
0: Yes, I am. Because I grew up, I'm Jewish, uh-huh. and on Passover you have gefilte fish, and that is the condiment that you put on it Ooh. is horseradish. Um, so I grew up eating that since I was little. And then, of course, you
2: like, go out for sushi and you eat wasabi. And so <laughs> are you? Yes, I'm obsessed with it. Like No cocktail sauce can ever have enough. Um, horseradish in there.
0: So if you've ever eaten too much horseradish and you get that really uncomfortable burning that just like shoots up your nose and makes you grab your nose and make that weird horseradish face. Yeah, I've had that too. Um, For years, I have wondered why some things burn your nose like that and other spicy things burn your tongue. And Becky, the smarty pants, badass chef that she is actually knows the answer to this question.
1: Horseradish and wasabi, uh, molecules that give you that kind of heat from them are very light. And so when you eat them, they rise up in the mouth and they go right up to the olfactory cells to the nose. And capsaicin, which is in the red chilies and uh, Mexican food, those are heavier molecules. And they just sit and they torture your tongue and your throat. So if you go to a sushi bar and you overdo it on a bite of wasabi, what you should do is close down your nose and breathe the air out your mouth and get rid of it down that way.
0: Becky's book is called How to Taste, and it's full of all kinds of little tips and tricks just like this. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Mary will tell us why you shouldn't eat beefaroni on a white carpet. I, I'm pretty sure you can't tell where this story is going. Aaron Mason, don't spill your coffee. You're being a Mary Stone right now. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're not. That was that was perfect, though. Mary Stone's a klutz. I'm a klutz. We'll be right back. Aaron Mason's a klutz. Sorry, I forgot. We're all klutzes. Welcome back to Your Last Meal. You can follow along on Instagram at Your Last Meal Podcast. And if you're feeling generous, which we hope you are, uh, we're not asking for money. All we want is for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and definitely subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Mary was a kid who loved to eat,
2: but unfortunately, she was also a kid who was very klutzy. I used to ice skate a ton on the weekends. I would save up my money during the week to buy, like, little snacks when I got there. I one time was wearing these new overalls. I felt so fly, uh, but they were a little bit too big. And I remember I was eating these sugar babies out of the front pocket of my overalls, and the guy, the rink guard, was like, Mary, no eating on the ice. And I was like... I know. And then my I um tripped on my own overalls. I fell and all those sugar babies just like scattered oh, no. all over the ice. I was just trying to like grab them as fast as I could. <laughs> I put them back in my pocket and you know I ate them. You know I ate them. <laughs> My parents waited so long to get brand new carpeting, and they got this white, gorgeous carpet. And I was obsessed with beefaroni, but um, another thing about food is I love the extremes. So I love super cold food, super hot food. I would microwave that damn beefaroni up so hot, and I was, like, walking into my living room, tripped, threw it all over the floor, like, days after they had gotten this carpet. Were they really upset? I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were they
0: able to get it out? No. Oh, no. It's just a gross, beefy spot. (laughs) Is that where you always had to sit? Like when company came, just like, sit on your beefy spot, Mary. (laughs) That's my shame seat. And that was Mary Soane's Last Meal. You can watch Mary on AP Bio. It's on Thursday nights on NBC or, you know, robot TVs. You can probably watch it whenever you want. You can probably watch it right now. The show is in its second season. It also stars Patton Oswalt. Lauren Michaels is a producer. I think you're hearing the funny names here. It's a funny show. Thanks to Shelly Toby. She's the director of culinary innovation at Wendy's. Thanks to Becky Selengut, my sour cream sister. Becky and I first bonded over the fact that we both Really like to dip things in sour cream and drizzle hot sauce on it. She is a Tabasco gal. I am a Tapatio gal. Uh, her latest book is called How to Taste. You can find it at Beckysellengut.com or wherever you get books. She also has a couple beautiful cookbooks called Shroom and Good Fish. This show was produced by Laura Scott and me, recorded by Erin Mason. Hi, Erin Mason. Hi, Rachel Bell. Prom Queen wrote and performed our theme music. And a shout out to some of our past guests who have cool things happening in their worlds right now. Number one, Alan Stone. He was on the show last year. He just had a baby boy. So when we interviewed him last, he was just about to get married. Things are really rolling along in the reproductive world of Alan Stone. So congrats to him and his wife on their first baby. Alan wanted nachos for his last meal. So we talk about the history of nachos. Make sure and roll back and listen to that episode. One of my favorites. Another congrats to Nora McInerney. She's the host of the podcast, terrible thanks for asking and uh, this lazy lady just put out two new books uh, the hot young widows club and no happy ending so if you have lost someone if someone in your life has lost someone um, these are excellent books to give to someone who is grieving Nora wants lucky charms for her last meal you will want lucky charms after you listen to that episode And one more shout out to the band Taco Cat. They have a new record out on Sub Pop Records. It's called This Mess is a Place. And we had a super fun, colorful episode with uh, Brie and Emily Noakes, two of the members of Taco Cat. We made some Franken s'mores that were made out of like Lucky Charms and Pop Tarts. It's sugary sweet and a super fun episode. So make sure to subscribe, check out all of those episodes. Follow us on Instagram. I'm Your Last Meal Podcast. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. And I was thinking, you know, we couldn't afford to play this song, but I was thinking of like the dip to dip to dip, you know, bamba ba bamba banga dang dang ba dip ba dump, dip, Mary's
1: Dip Restaurant.
0: Erin, <laughs> do you have any ideas for Mary's Dip Restaurant? Not after that. Okay, cool. I'm like in Delilah mode now. Hi, welcome back to Your Last Meal. What's on your heart tonight? (laughs) 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 Becky's book is called How to Taste, and it's got us like major radio announcer. (laughs) Becky's book, How to Taste, is available on Forsyth.